This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run and I'm Philip C. On today's property show, I'm in conversation with Prakash Lungani from the International Monetary Fund. He's an economist there who helps us shape understanding of how the global property market will affect general economic trends. A very good morning to you, Prakash. How are you doing? Good morning, Philip. Thanks Thanks for having me on the program. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Now, let's just get straight to uh, the questions. <clears throat> There's a broader question about global house prices. And, you know, for us in the radio station, we see so many articles around the world about house prices rising throughout the pandemic. That's a bit of a hit-scratcher, in my view. Uh, what were the main factors behind this rise in house prices? So, uh, Philip, as you know, at, at the IMF, uh, the International Monetary Fund, where I work, um, we, we follow developments in house prices in many, many countries, some some 50-plus countries to be exact. And, in fact, for the last five years or so, even before the pandemic, uh, house prices were going up in most of these countries. One big reason was low interest rates. And there was also, you know, relatively stable growth in incomes in most countries. Not spectacular, but, you know, reasonably good. So with the low interest rates, uh, mortgage payments become, of course, more affordable uh, for those who are looking to buy a house for themselves. And they also bring in, uh, you know, some speculators who are looking to uh, flip houses and, and make a buck. Um, and then if you have good income growth, then generally you have people having good job growth as well. And so that gives them the confidence to buy houses. We can come back to this later, but there are also con- constraints on supply. But so the main story that uh, I'm giving your listeners is that even before the pandemic, we had seen house prices go up quite strongly for four, five, six years. So the question was, you know, with the pandemic, people expected, oh, now house prices will, will collapse. Yeah. And, and that didn't happen. So, you know, it's worth, uh, you know, thinking through why, why that was the case. <clears throat> you know, one reason, of course, was that uh, the interest rates remained low. So, and the thing many central governments even cut interest rates further, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. So, not only did they remain low, but uh, they in fact went down, as you, as you correctly say. So, for some people who were able to hold on to their jobs during the pandemic, this became uh, a very good time to buy because you, had, you still had your job, interest rates were even lower. And so, houses that you could not afford before suddenly seemed more affordable. And, you know, actually in the initial months of the pandemic, when you sort of still had your job, but, you know, you were not quite working full time because your business was trying to figure out, you know, how to uh, restructure its business, how mm-hmm. to reorient. Uh, many people actually had a, a bit more free time on their hands. And and we know this because, you know, these days with big data, you can, you know, figure out anything. And what the studies have shown is that online searches for houses completely spiked. <laughs> in March and April of 2020. So there were indeed a lot of people who were, you know, kind of sitting around. A lot of time in your hands, to... essentially. <laughs> yeah, you have time on your hands if you're not, uh, if you still have a job. Yeah. Of course, you're worried about COVID and everything, but what are you going to do? You sit in your house and you search uh, on- online. And um, I must say that it's to the credit of the industry, uh, certainly 
in the United States where I live, but also I've heard from friends in many other countries that the real estate industry was able to kind of, you know, quickly Re-pivot. retool mm. and, um, you know, make online viewing of houses much more easy and, and better. So you could actually, you know, go through a lot of these online searches. Of course, you know, you don't want to buy a house completely based on online, but at least you could narrow it down and then maybe go see one or two houses. Right. So the industry has transformed itself. Uh, people had more time Absolutely. to begin looking around for properties. But I come back to yeah. the earlier point you raised about interest rates. And can I just get your perspective as a macroeconomist, how sensitive interest rates are to the housing market? Because what we are now entering now is an environment where interest rates are beginning to rise and increase. So with right. that in mind, um, are we expecting a deceleration in housing price mark in the, in the housing market then going forward? Because you know central banks around the world are uh, contemplating or already have taken action to raise interest rates, right? Yes, absolutely. So um, as the economies uh, recover, you know you you would have expected that interest rates would would go up uh, in any case. But what has happened now is that uh, because of the pickup in inflation in many countries. Uh, central banks are quite concerned about inflation prospects. Mm. And so that is making them raise interest rates faster than they might have been thinking about doing. So, um, as you said, I mean, interest, certain, you know, major central banks, the Fed, uh, have also, have already raised rates and they're indicating they will raise them further. You know, Jay Powell just gave a speech, the Fed chairman, uh, about how he's now focused on inflation and so on. So so I think uh, that will definitely, you know, put some uh, pressure on house prices, namely it will make them fall. Now, how much, you know, we don't exactly know. It kind of depends on the country, depends on the specific time period. But, you know, in the industry, we sort of have a kind of rule of thumb that if you have a one percentage point interest uh, increase in interest rates. So if, for instance, they go up from 3% to 4%, then house prices will decline by about 5%. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of the rule of thumb right. many people in the industry use to think about if you are a industry person, you know, how much should you expect your properties uh, might decline? So I think, you know, I think people will be doing a lot of research trying to see is that rule of thumb still applicable at the moment? But that, that's what we've been using. Mm. So it's a 1%, 5% sensitivity that you talk about. I wonder in, in your mind whether the current situation we're in, whether governments are very keen to cool down the market and actually encourage this drop in, you know, this rise in interest rates and precipitously drop in housing prices just to cool the market down, you know. But I guess the debate is how do you engineer a soft landing <laughs> with respect yes, to the housing and property market? That's the biggest concern, don't we? Because if Jay Powell is thinking about three, four basis points hike in the, in the span of a year, that would, if we translate to that sensitivity, be about 20% reduction. So how do we yeah. kind of uh, engineer a, a soft landing? Right. I don't think, um, you know, people are trying to engineer a soft landing of the economy as a whole. If in that process, countries where policymakers or the governments feel that housing markets were getting a little out of hand, then they will say, well, this is a side benefit. You know, the economy will cool down and so will the housing markets. But 
you know, I don't think any policymaker is out there thinking, oh, I uh, bring about a soft landing of mm. the economy and a hard landing of housing markets. I think no, no policymaker wants a sudden crash in the housing market. There are indeed cities and suburbs all over the globe where house price growth has been you know, really quite quite amazing, quite frothy, as we say. Uh, we use a technical term in our, yeah. part, in our parts. So they, they would like to take some of that froth away, you know, some of the, the bubbliness uh, away. But you know, no, nobody wants a hard land housing sector because it's such an important sector of the economy. Yes, and it also incredible store of wealth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to, yeah, for you know most middle class people, this is the biggest asset they own. So, yeah, you want to kind of if you want a soft landing of the economy, you want an even softer landing of the housing market mm. given its importance. Today, I'm in conversation with Prakash Lungani from the IMF, short for the International Monetary Fund, on the global housing market and its implications on the global economy. We'll be back with more after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and with me today is Prakash Lungani from the IMF on a discussion about the global housing market. Perhaps can you pass out uh, the regions or areas where, you know, prices remain extremely hot or frothy uh, versus other markets that are perhaps a bit more tepid? You know, could you pass it out? Because we always see the global macro number, but I'm sure that they're very discernible trends by regions and even by specific countries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the kind of Anglo-Saxon world, if I may, and Europe have had some of the largest increases in, in house prices. So... Australia, New Zealand, Canada, you know, many places in Europe have had the strongest increases in house prices over the last five, six years. You know, after the global financial crisis, things were kind of flat for a number of years. And then they started picking up and they, they have picked up the most in, in Australia, New Zealand uh, and, and some of the European countries. So even in a, a country like Germany, which historically has not had a house price boom, um, in the last few years, we've had kind of quite booming house prices, including in, you know, some of the less fashionable cities at, at the time, like, you know, Hamburg is now very fashionable in the very uh, up and coming housing market. It was not known, you know, it used to be Berlin, uh, but now you see cities in Germany uh, also starting to enjoy boom. So those have been some of the frothier uh, markets. And if you look at the other end of the spectrum, it's actually, you know, the region where you're sitting, uh, which has seen some of the more tepid markets. So Southeast Asia uh, coming off, you know, a fairly big boom over the last year, year and a half has not had such good growth in, in housing markets. So I think prices declined, uh, I think, by Malaysia, in Malaysia by 5-7%, uh, Philippines even more, about 15%. And they were essentially flat in Thailand and Indonesia. So um, now the, the reasons are not always the same. You know, you feel like, oh, it's all these countries are in the same region. So it must be the same explanation. I think it's it's a bit different. I think in, in, in Malaysia, you did have a big uh, housing boom, but you also had uh, a big increase in supply, uh, which is good. Uh, you know, I think we can talk later about how, Countries actually typically don't provide enough housing and create house price booms artificially. But, you know, in the case of Malaysia, you know, it seems to be 
uh, a bit of excess supply, at least at the moment, yeah. which has to be wound down. And I think that perhaps is true also of the Philippines to some extent. I'm, I'm by no means an expert in, in this particular region, but... It's very interesting because yep. I think, as you were saying, Prakash, even before the pandemic, you know, housing prices were booming in Malaysia. Uh, presumably, it's also yeah. a base base effect here, right? With that's why we're seeing some correction that took place throughout the pandemic right, from Malaysia. Right, exactly. Yeah. And there are also yeah, the I dynamics, know, yeah, and also dynamics of the supply and demand issue in Malaysia. I, I very interesting that you've contrasted the point about how we drive supply. Um, to then dictate uh, and how that drives pricing, which then leads to the broader question about affordability. Because you also run a series of uh, analytics, right, on data about how affordable housing is. And the, the, the data is quite telling, right, that house prices really have grown much faster than income. So the question really in my mind is, is a correction inevitable? Or are we are we seeing this as a structural trend going forward that we will see house prices grow continually faster than incomes? Um, no, that, that's an excellent question. I think, um, you know, we have also been collecting this data at the IMF for uh, you know, some 50-odd countries, as I said, and for the vast majority, house prices have grown faster than incomes. Now, you know, that by itself is, is not a problem because particularly in countries where you have fairly well-developed mortgage markets where people can borrow. Um, you know, basically what the mortgage market does is it allows people to buy the house today against the prospect of their future income. So just the fact that you know the house price on average can be some multiple of average incomes is not a problem uh, because that's what mar- mor- uh, mortgage markets allow you to do. It, rather than have to save in front, up, up ahead, and mm. then buy you know, say for eight, 10 years and then buy, the mortgage markets allow you to do that. So it's it's not by itself a problem that house price growth can outstrip income growth. But this cannot continue forever because you cannot borrow forever. You have to pay that mortgage back. <laughs> and so you would expect that over time, there should be some adjustment of house prices towards uh, average incomes. But yeah, so because for me, when I listen to you, then it does suggest that, you know, early on when we had the conversation about the sensitivity of interest rates to house prices, that one to five ratio, if this trend continues to go up, wouldn't the sensitivity be heightened even further because it's very much dependent on mortgage rates and financing, no? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the more levered you get, the more you've borrowed to finance the house against your future income. You know, you may have made the completely rational decision to do that, mm. but the higher the interest rates go compared to your expectations or compared to when you bought the house, the more difficult it's going uh, to be. You know, some people have, of course, locked in to, say, you know, a 30-year uh, mortgage for, for, for at low mortgage interest rates. They may be somewhat protected, but certainly newcomers coming onto the market cannot expect those same terms. They will have either higher interest rates or sellers will want to go more into adjustable rate mortgages and so on. So I think, uh, you know, you're absolutely right that this can set in in place uh, a process of correction. But, you know, one thing I should tell you and your listeners is that this process of adjustment can take a very long time. So just to give an example from Australia, Australia's case, which I said was one of the hot markets. So in Australia, in, in Sydney, for instance, right now, it takes 
15, it would take 15 years of the average person's income to buy the average house in Sydney. Now, that's a very long time. You know, people cannot wait. You cannot, if you're 27, 30 years old, you're thinking of getting married or you're mm. married, you were thinking of having kids. You're not going to wait till you're 45 and your spouse is 45 to say, oh, now, now it's time for us to uh, have kids. So you have to, uh, you know, you have to make these decisions and the adjustment will happen, but it may not in some of these cities where the uh, house price relative to income is so out of whack, uh, the process can take, could take a long time and it, it could still be that houses remain unaffordable for, uh, for many, many people. Which then leads to the question about if how home ownership is not a likely viable option for many, perhaps renting is the option and the solution for many because you also have an interesting indicator of house prices to rent ratio, again pointing that house prices are growing much faster than rents. What does it tell us about home ownership going forward? And, you know, do we see a cor- expect to see a correction there or are people going to just transition towards rental versus ownership going forward? I think that's uh, that's a fluid situation, and the pandemic has, you know, also moved things in that direction. You know, I think already uh, young people all over the world. Uh, there are some exceptions we can come to that. You know, I think we can talk about China, which I think is still a bit of an exception. But you hear that young people all over the world are less tied up to this dream of home ownership. Certainly, people of my uh, generation were very much into, you know, owning a house was part of the dream. And, and you know, you had a sequence, you know, you got a job and, you know, when you got married. You job got for kids, life. You went, out, you went out, yeah, you went out to the suburbs for yeah. the house. You don't, you didn't stay renters. Yeah. But I see my own kids who are in their 20s, you know, they are, they're not as energized about the need to buy a house. They, they feel like they can rent for a long time. Uh, so I think things are changing Attitudes are changing. The pandemic probably has further changed those attitudes. But I mean, one sort of counterbalancing thing has been that is the is the working from home phenomenon. Mm. So that has kind of increased the demand for space. So, you know, previously you may have said I can live in a very small apartment. I'm a young person. Who cares? I'm just going to come there and sleep. Most of the time I'm going to be either at work or I'm going to be out with my friends and I just come and crash in the house. Now, you know, you need a bit more. You need a you, you need a home office. You need a, a space where you can comfortably work. And the same thing for, you know, older, even for older people like me, you know, my wife and I both work full time and, you know, we have a reasonably sized house, but even then it's difficult. You know, right now I'm sitting in the basement and she's sitting up on the second floor working. So we both need more space to work. And so I think that the demand for space has gone up and how that will translate into increases in house prices versus rents. I think people are still trying to figure out uh, what happens. That's all the time we have for today's Property Show. Thank you for being on the show, Prakash. Today on the Property Show, I had the delight of Prakash Lungani from the International Monetary Fund as we discuss about the implications of the global housing market on the overall global economy. I'm Philip C. signing off for The Morning Run. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.